Welcome back to Remote Watch. Did you miss us? Uh, welcome back to the podcast that transcends time. It's the two of us, two best friends, me and Julia, me and Kaylee. We talk a lot of like movies and stuff together. How are you doing? Doing all right. Still in New York. Um, it can't decide if it wants to be fall yet, but we're getting there. That's so the I'm rest excited. of the world. It's warm this past week in London. So I was wearing like a skirt and a t-shirt to go out. And that's not how October is supposed to be like. <laughs> it's different. I freeze in the morning and then get really hot in the afternoon. And, and then it rains on the weekends. It just won't stop. But speaking of London, how are things going over there? I heard there's a big event going on. Yeah, I've been going to lots of movies, been going to BFI's London Film Festival, Baby Source Film Festival. So that's been a pretty big thing <laughs> that's going on right now. Uh, I love it. It's really fun. I get to watch a bunch of movies, much to my parents' confusion, because they're just like, so what do you do nowadays? I was like, oh, you know, I wake up at six in the morning and then I try to get to central London by a reasonable time, reasonable being like half an hour to an hour before the film opens just so that you can get a seat otherwise you wouldn't be let in to see what a movie you want to see and then see how you feel about the movie and then rinse and repeat go into the next screening and meet a bunch of people along the way how are we feeling about this like from your what did you think london film festival would be like versus what you experienced i'm not gonna lie um I didn't know what to expect. I just thought like, oh, I'd just be seeing a lot of like movies and potentially directors are going to be there and actors. Well, this is a weird year for that because no actors are allowed to promote their movies. And um, there were directors there, but uh, I would need to pay more money to see them. So unfortunately, I didn't pay to go see Martin Scorsese talk, although they did up just upload it. So I'm probably going to go watch Edgar and Edgar Wright and Martin Scorsese have like their one and a half hour talk. Like I spoke to a few people who were like, oh, we just stood outside and asked Greta to sign our shirts, which I should have done that. Like, had I known that then, I would have done that. Now I'm going to know what to do next year. So my tips for people who are doing film fest London Film Festival is uh, get enough sleep because you're not going to get it before the festival starts because during you're never going to sleep and talk to as many people and find out as many things that you can go to for free. I feel like that's the same advice I would give for somebody for like New York Comic Con, which is this weekend. Yeah. Um, if you want to talk about big events happening, it is also shower, get enough sleep, wear good shoes and take as many pictures as possible. Oh, 100%. <laughs> and I can't wait for you to meet your hero, the one and only Mr. David Tennant of it all. Woohoo! <laughs> Long time in the making. Um, I mean, also speaking of heroes, I know you didn't get to meet Greta. So sorry. It's okay. Um, One but, day. <laughs> you know, what films were you most looking forward to? And also which ones actually really surprised you? Um, well, we can expand more on this uh a little bit on my what are we watching section, but but essentially it is I'm watching a lot of things. But uh, I was really looking forward to uh, Emerald Fennel's Saltburn, and uh, it made me like Jacob and Lord. 
<laughs> literally ask Julia. I have not been able to shut up about this man. And I don't usually, I'm not, well, I'm sometimes like this, but I'm not usually like this. Yeah. I feel like you <laughs> took my job this week of like, we usually have someone to thirst over and instead <laughs> we don't. Well, you do. <laughs> like, I have never seen the appeal until these past couple of weeks. And I'm just like, Oh, because it used to be like, oh, because he's tall and a white man. Like, that's like the two like <laughs> things you need to for, get girls to get attracted to you. But like, this man can't act. He's got range. I kind of want to see what Kissing Booth is like. But at the same time, I don't want to subject myself to that. But at the same time, he's like, he's rage, a good watch, actor. Rage, watch, rage, watch. <laughs> <laughs> one day, one day, maybe. We'll see. And he's also in Pris- uh, Priscilla, Sofia Coppola's Priscilla. And he was like a really good Elvis in that. It's not about him, though. And he does like a really good, like, supplementary role. And without, well, you've read the title of this episode. We're not talking about Priscilla. However, we will be talking about another one of Sofia Coppola's movies. This week, we're talking about Marie Antoinette, the 2006 movie. Uh, starring Kirsten Dunst, um, it, Marie Antoinette is described as an electrifying yet intimate retelling of the turbulent life of history's favorite villainess, Marie Antoinette, who married France's young and indifferent King Louis the Sixteenth. Because I'm having a very hard time reading Roman numerals. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's very interesting that they're describing her as a villainess. What are your thoughts on that? Ooh, I can see why, but like the movie doesn't portray her as a villainess I don't think like it's very much her just living her life it's just like the outward like circumstances like yeah there are like scenes of people like hey we're running out of money you sure do you want to buy this dress and these trees and these xyz and she's just like eh why not I'll just ask Louis for more money and I'm like oh that it's ignorance but ignorance isn't a crime the last I've heard well, according to the French, I mean, we literally, they literally had a revolution over this, <laughs> pulled out a guillotine for that kind of ignorance. I mean, that kind of ignorance never stopped. We're still saying eat the rich to this day. So that is true. I mean, okay. Nowadays, I, I would say ignorance is a crime, but for the time that it was set in and for the role that she had to play at that time, I don't, she can't do much anyway. Whereas now, it's much more easy to hold the rich to account and make them see like the consequences of their actions. Am I defending the rich by defending Marie Antoinette? Holy shit. Um, no, no. And I, I will. Okay. I will agree with you on, on that for one reason, because I, I hate being this person, but it's quite literally the internet. Like if the rich wanted to see what somebody who made less than them lived like, you could easily find a video on it, find an article, learn about it. There's a housing crisis freaking everywhere. So um, like it wasn't like Marie could just Google like broke people in France. What does that look like? <laughs> you know, <laughs> just like, I need to find a BuzzFeed quiz to see what broke person I would be. That's not an option. <laughs> Back in 1700s. <laughs> 
I mean, Sophia Coppola's Marie Antoinette probably would have taken like a crap ton of BuzzFeed quizzes if she had the chance. Bro, she would be like up in the magazines looking up her horoscope. She would yeah. be like searching up all the hot goss. She she was the one like literally like spreading goss in court too. So it's just like fun times all around for her. It's, you know, it's Sophia Coppola's like what it's like to be a girl and living in circumstances you can't really control and this is like a running theme like of the things that she would make I suppose I I say this with like a very uh heavy grain of salt right now because it's like uh I've only seen like three of Sofia Coppola's like uh filmography and I would want to watch more uh but this is like what from all three that I've seen, all three are in like the range of like these core themes about like uh being a girl in a world that you can't really like control things. I feel like it's also not competing, but I guess Sophia and Greta could kind of go head to head on these kinds of things, um, especially this theme, because I feel like they're kind of similar. What are your takes on that? I know you're you're a big Greta Gerwig fan as well. I am. Um, this is gonna sound really bad, but uh, in terms of like the feminism that Greta has displayed lately in the Barbie movie, it is a little bit less like it's more in your face and like words are being thrown at you. Whereas Sophia's um portrayal of it, it leaves more questions with you i'm not saying either one is better than the other it's different but um for uh sophia's one she definitely leaves you wants the audience to have like their own like take a little more whereas especially with barbie was has been quite like hey i want you to take this which i don't know if it's a studio thing or a greta thing at this point because it wasn't like this in little women and uh ladybird so much so it could be a warner brother thing so (laughs) maybe maybe she wanted to be a bit more overt I mean, it's definitely we've gotten to a point where it's kind of dumb to hide any messaging. Like we know it's a woman first movie. <laughs> that is fair. Barbie is very much a whole different like set of expectation when it comes with making a Barbie movie. Therefore, it wouldn't be unexpected to like hear like, quote unquote, intense messaging coming from mm-hmm. a Barbie movie compared to like, let's say a ladybird. I mean, people do say that Barbie was kind of behind on the times like behind on the messaging that like some of the things and it should have come from like pre-2016 or even around that time yeah um and it's just kind of interesting how other films might be ahead of their time oh yeah which this Marie Antoinette movie does feel very much ahead of its time like um we had a pre a pre-recording call earlier where um we talked about how much influence this 2006 Marie Antoinette has had on like film and TV nowadays like there's so much that you just think of a like let's say the great for example there's so much that's definitely drawn from this Marie Antoinette in uh Catherine's journey in the great whereas yeah Catherine has a lot more like 
to say and to do about what she wants to do with the monarchy compared to what Marie Antoinette is like living quote unquote frivolously in like her little bubble and taking up all the money. But a lot of like the visuals and like the colors of the great, I was just like, hang on. Marie Antoinette has a lot of influence into what's happening here. Yeah. And even pieces like Bridgerton, I feel like it was a a big transition to get period pieces that are not on the PBS <laughs> and aren't like so I don't have the word for it, but it's almost irreverent to its own history or to the original kind of piece. Yeah, because it's like a lot of the criticisms, which we will like get into, but one of the core criticisms I've seen of this movie, and uh, this is from looking back through the internet, because back in 2006, I was five years old. Therefore, I don't actually know <laughs> what the audience reaction was when this came out. But from what I've read, people didn't like this Marie Antoinette movie because it wasn't like historically accurate period accurate why does Kristen Dunst have a valley girl accent and I'm like are you kidding me the valley girl accent is like peak choice anyway um but yeah people felt very weirded out by that whereas nowadays I feel we as like consumers of period drama kind of expect the sort of anachronistic behavior Mm -hmm. of how people act in period movies as not necessarily period accurate and more importantly just fun and delivering a good story which I guess it's set out a good pretty good precedent for that yeah we've kind of made it work so that way history is a bit more accessible to us um and put it in our own language I feel like a lot of the language in these period pieces have not only just changed in terms of like how they're speaking but also like and how they act as well this is like I said, ahead of its time, but also mirrors a lot of things like Mean Girls and a lot of other early 2000s. I guess. Like mid 2000s. Yeah. Sort of, oh, yeah. Like the colors, the way like it's like a girl's girl type of like movie. Mm-hmm. And which I like, don't quote me on this, but I think that it's only until like the 2000s when like we started making super like girly things that were like like unironically girly like it's just like we're taking girl things seriously now like it's like from clueless onwards i mean even then we still don't kind of take those stories seriously but i feel like it's where that transition began that's like a sort of meta thing about this marie antoinette movie is that they know that you won't be taking it seriously Mm -hmm. but they don't care we still want to like portray this life as like you know Marie Antoinette in real life was just a really young girl in those circumstances. Therefore, um, in capturing that youthfulness, you can take what you want about this movie. But at the end of the day, that's just what it earnestly was. It's colorful and like it's a lot more multifaceted than what you would think it to be. Yeah, the poster is quite literally a selfie. (laughs) <laughs> like like it's 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 you know Kirsten Dunn's gonna be like I'm Marie nice to meet you I'm 15 I live in France my husband's <laughs> really boring but come watch my channel like no yeah uh there was like uh this quote that I think it's from Hannah Strong who actually wrote a book about Sofia Coppola it's like it's the MTV's the real world version of Marie Antoinette based in reality but embellished for entertainment's sake and quite possessed of its own design I just love how like it just doesn't want it's not a history lesson at all 
it wanted to be a movie and it wasn't a history lesson and it was very much like a serious movie to th- or it it's serious if you want to take it seriously it's a fun movie if you want to take it fun it's also marie antoinette which she's already characterized as a villainess in this description um but we also don't really care about her like that and like we're not we don't think of marie antoinette as a good person we remember let them eat cake and that's it and then that's what we that's the general knowledge that she said let them eat cake but even in this movie they're like acknowledging i would never say that Mm -hmm. uh, because it's how they personify that uh historical figure to be as mean and as like uncaring and in terms of like you know trying to get the revolution out obviously the easy thing would be to have make ability out of the monarchy and like uh from what Sophia is like portray for Sophia and Kirsten because whose performance is also like so good in this of like making her youthful and like it's a youthfulness towards Marie Antoinette and also the sort of like understanding that like oh they don't like me but slowly she starts to not care and like that transition was just like delicious to watch of just like well they don't like it but who cares I'm just gonna like buy more things and be friends with the people that they don't like which is a very teenage girl thing (laughs) it's a lot of also her discovering herself tell me I guess I am not that well versed in the history of Marie Antoinette. How old was she when she got married? Fourteen. Mm. <laughs> you know what? Back in the old day, I guess, but doesn't like I know that's the norm, but just because it's the norm, it's not right. And we as a society, I hope we know that now. Don't know. <laughs> granted, granted, they probably lived at a time where the oldest you could be was 65 before you like kaput. So <laughs> not that I'm defending child marriage because that sounds like the case, but it just seems like societal norms are probably different because of life expectancy. That is true. However, and also it's an arranged marriage. She did not mm-hmm. want to get married at 14. And also Louis was very keen on this as clearly shown by his refusal to like uh have sex with uh this beautiful lady he way passed into their marriage and up until the point that it's like hey we need an heir like we really really need one so can you like just do that and he's like don't really want it though and it's like well think of it as like one of your hobbies you like you like keyed making right so it's like a key and i'm just like oh my god that's the worst analogy but like i guess <laughs> You can't see, but Julia just remembered that scene. Yes. <laughs> I, I remember awkwardly talking about this in a film class I took in college. Um, and despite the fact that my professor screamed so much about the converse, we had a very in-depth conversation about the key making. And I'm like, can we not talk this much about sex in the classroom? Thank you. <laughs> Well, you're in college. Everyone wants to talk about sex there. Nobody was attractive enough to be thinking about that, but you know. (laughs) But yeah, so yeah, neither of them were particularly um, very keen on the marriage to begin with. It was more for Frant's sake that they got married. 
and uh you can sort of see how like oh maybe for the sake of France it could have you guys shouldn't have done a lot of things I feel like that's a lot of people who make decisions but okay <laughs> uh, no that's just every global superpower in the world and how I feel about them right now this is like a general hot take you know <laughs> yeah that's pretty fair it's kind of like things really haven't changed ever since and I don't want to even want to say since 2006 since you know 18 something when Marie was around well, I wouldn't say nothing's changed. Like a lot of things have changed. I'm allowed to vote now. And the fact that I am in a different country right now. <laughs> well, also, we're not in arranged marriages. So. <laughs> I just think um, that Marie Antoinette movie, like you said, it's like just so like before its time. But at the same time, it's when we look back at it now in 2023, there's so much that was like, she just captured about the emotions you feel as a young girl and how well it is because there's so much like messiness towards things around you and towards yourself and how do you like reconcile and balance that as like a teenage girl and like there really isn't like one way and it is just a teenage girl and I feel bad for her. And it's definitely a sympathetic look into Marie Antoinette. And I appreciate that. Yeah. And that's what makes her feel a little less villainous than they describe her out to be. And it, it's kind of interesting because the, the, the story of a teenage girl trying to figure out who she is, is pretty timeless. It hasn't changed. The only difference is the circumstances that she'll ever be put in. Yeah, and I always feel bad for teenage girls and having been one myself, we are the most <laughs> annoying girls. However, you know, everyone should give teenage girls slack. And we've had like this conversation before mm-hmm. about teenage girls and how we should all take them more seriously. But as a society, we never do. Because they make the world go round. <laughs> we are the economy. Like, have you not we, seen? We, like you're not in your 20s, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have the mentality of a teenage girl anyway i don't know what you're on about <laughs> the point was teenage girls should be taken seriously and thank you sofia coppola for uh putting some light to that and doing so with a lot of grace and a lot of color and a lot of very beautiful shots i'm, I'm also thinking like there are a lot of people who can't relate to this film and also no. who don't like this film for some reason yeah, uh, as we said, uh, these are things that we've read online. Um, people don't <laughs> like because, again, I wasn't born in 2006. I, w- I was born, but I wasn't having the comprehension that I have now to watch this movie. In 2006, I was obsessed with Barbie. Although, if my mom put this movie on, I, I would think that this is a Barbie movie because of the colors and like the mm-hmm. decadence and like the yeah. lush, like beautiful colors and everything. Moving on. Um, people didn't like this movie because of uh, how modernized it is. And uh, people are wrong because people actually love uh, modernized of uh, period classics. And people also didn't like it because, again, ahead of her time, people were calling her a Nepo baby. And people didn't like that. Oh, it's like it's uh, because her dad made the Godfather. That's why she has all these opportunities. We say the same damn thing about every single goddamn baby Nepo baby nowadays anyway. And I'm just like, wow, Sophia Coppola is like co-opting every single criticism uh, way well before the time of like peak criticisms of these points. And I'm just like, whoa, she had a time machine. Is she a time lord? She knows things. 
I want to say she continues to be ahead of her time, but I also have not seen Priscilla. So I can't 100% say that um, because you, you know, hold the keys to the answers. Um, but it, it was funny, you know, when you read about the critique of the film from when it came out, I see like reviews from 2008 on Rotten Tomatoes getting really frustrated. And it, there's this one that's really funny that, well, to me anyway, it says, this could be the story of Paris Hilton if she were to be married off to an impotent French prince instead of dating meatheads armed with camcorders. That itself is dated because nobody references Paris Hilton now. We ain't got camcorders no more. Paris Hilton's making a comeback. You know that, right? She's making a comeback. Like, no, it's not a comeback comeback, but like she's come out and she's like, oh, I put up like the Valley Girl voice. It's like a bit. I didn't think that people actually like bought the dumb blonde version of myself. And as that carried on, she was she just went along with it. And like, I think uh, there's just so much like nuance towards Paris Hilton herself so it's like when you put all of these factors together and this is something that Coppola has made a, been able to like pick out on how society views like women and girlhood and like the sort of like um finding your way in from growing out of the innocence that you once had that was so suddenly taken away from you and it's like all of those themes, she's like encapsulated that in like this, how Marie Antoinette navigates her version of France. And I'm just like, whoa. And because like, she's just like caught on those criticisms so quickly. I'm just like, how? I also found this other review, which I think is funny. Um, it just says Coppola's approach doesn't humanize the past. It trivializes it. And the subtleties of history and psychology are glossed over in deference to the movie's teeny bopper sensibility. In saying that um, if you take this new, you know, lens and approach, it just okay. glosses over history. What do you think about that? I can't stand it because it's like we have li- <laughs> literally I tried to watch this movie and got a documentary on France instead. That's not something we want to watch. Like. I want to watch a movie characterizing Marie Antoinette. I want to be able to feel for her. It's why I watch things like Victoria and The Crown and stuff like that. Like I want people in high places to feel humanized to me. The story does not lie in historical events because those could be changed no matter what. The story lies in the people who are in it. So this review is trash, quite frankly. But that's why I brought it up because I was like, I oh, no, like. I agree with everything you're saying. And I also want to add that, like, they say that it's trivializing the past. I would say, like, every movie that's made with, like, a setting, you can't argue it trivializes that setting because it's not, the movie's not about the setting. The movie is about a character in said setting. So by saying that, uh, creating this uh, sort of, like, modernized France is trivializing it. But then every setting that is made by any movie is trivializing what there could have been like I, someone could make a movie about london based in london and they could like uh dress it up dress it down and you could say like that's not representative of london and i'm just like there is no one way to represent london so um i just fundamentally disagree with that i think i was having a conversation recently about like how this person really likes books on new york and my response was, but I hate movies about New York because they're never accurate. 
<laughs> or they provide like transplant dreams and I, I can't stand it. For for those who don't understand what transplant means, I mean people who are like not from New York who moved to New York and is like, I'm a New Yorker and it's been my life the whole time. And it's like, no, it's not. It's not the same. Growing up here and moving here is not the same thing. So it's just my two cents. <laughs> Literally, I, I am an immigrant. I can call myself a Londoner now, but I'm not like a native. So mm-hmm. uh, the lives of people who have like grown up here, have family here is very different to my experience of living here. So uh, from that alone, it's like the two of us will experience like me and a native Londoner would experience London very differently. Mm-hmm. And so like, but that doesn't make it not London. So therefore, you know, like modernizing France doesn't make it not work. So therefore that review is trash. Right. And if you wanted to actually learn the history of France, there are so many other resources out there. Go look exactly. for Exactly. <laughs> and if you got the means, go to France because Versailles is really pretty. Uh, not right now, the way with the bed bugs and everything. Oh yeah, no, I mean, <laughs> yeah. Um, wait until the bed bugs have been exterminated. Just a side note. Let's talk a bit more about the anachronisms. Can we just have like a whole ten minutes on the converse? <laughs> okay, let's talk about the converse. That everyone <laughs> talks about the converse when we bring up this movie. So apparently, it was uh, Sophia's brother Roman's idea, and he shot the sequence and uh, showed it to his sister, and it was like, oh this actually like works in the sense of like making this feel like a youthful and like, you know, everyone was wearing Converse back in like the mid two thousands. So, and, and keep keeping with the idea of keeping this modern and young that worked. And it's like a blink and you miss it type thing, but everyone kept talking about it. So no one would blink at that moment. So it's funny. Cause I had to rewatch that scene. I remember when I watched it for the first time and I was like, those, those should not be there. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was honestly really nice. Cause I feel like, well, for me, at least 2006 was a time where I was constantly wearing Converse. Like that is something that was kind of a, a coming of age thing. And it, they're like colorful purple Converse to the point where you can't really match those with outfits, but they do match the aesthetic of the rest of the film. All of the shoes she's trying on are bright and flamboyant and quite literally look like the candy that the song is playing. <laughs> I just love all the sequences in this movie. So like uh, the fashion sequences where she's trying everything, the sequence where she is at like her chateau after she got married, where like she's enjoying the uh, sort of like non uh, palace life with her daughter. The sequence literally when like in the beginning, when she's like waking up and trying to get used to the idea that people look at her when she's sleeping and waking up and like that is just like how they cut it and how they like transition these scenes there is like a magic to it that Sofia Coppola is like really well done it it is interesting that um Sofia's really taken these biopics and not just kind of given us like a play by play of what happened um unlike other films <laughs> that's very much the route that a lot of biopics can go mm-hmm. and uh i don't know cuz it's like nowadays a lot of movies are biopics which like yeah, it's a great way to learn about somebody, but also it's a great way to have like narrative tension. But sometimes it's just like moment after moment after moment after moment. And well, Marie Antoinette's not that. <laughs> yeah, but you can 
like in order to not have it like this is what happened year after year of this person it's interesting that she's kind of put it in the perspective of other genres of films if that makes sense Mm -hmm. because you're saying priscilla's a horror movie and while that may be your perspective perhaps that's what she was looking at thinking of yeah intending a sort of thriller or something that makes you uneasy more of what i mean Mm -hmm. and in which she put marie antoinette in our like 2006 like teeny bopper type of film and that was intentional and so you do get the like this is what happened year after year but you're actually still enticed because it follows a story structure that you're familiar with that makes sense and growing to love Sophia's portrayal of you know Marie or even Priscilla you can be interested in looking up the history and so then that way you don't have to complain that because it was put in a different perspective you don't get the full history because that's up to you to learn (laughs) yeah literally Wikipedia is right there look it up Wikipedia well you know (laughs) <laughs> okay wikipedia is like level one right yeah and this is everyone to like this is my psa for everyone to actually get some media literacy mm-hmm. is not to believe everything you read on the internet so you find one source wikipedia and then you see like oh at the bottom this is where the sources for wikipedia is then you go read that and try to read more so it's up to you and your own judgment and also whether liking or not liking Mar- Marie Antoinette is also on your own judgment, but you are wrong if you didn't like this movie. Yeah. <laughs> Put yourself in her shoes and also out of her shoes because eat the rich, but also, you know, for a fact, if you won the lotto yesterday, you would be doing the same thing. <laughs> God damn. <laughs> like I would like not worry about rent and that would be sweet. Oh, I wouldn't worry. I'd buy a house. I wouldn't worry about the insecurity ever. Oh, I love that. Like the dream is now to own like a 400 square foot apartment. And that's <laughs> because in this economy, if you don't make enough, you can only get a room and that's it. And it's not your own. You rent. Yep. And it's not your own. That's our little wrap up on our Marie Antoinette talk next time. We'll hear about Priscilla and Elvis, maybe. We'll see. Um, <laughs> we'll see how we do the like Priscilla slash Elvis thing. I'm actually very excited to see how that goes because I will find out. You know, despite the fact that Kaylee has seen Priscilla already, um, we most likely won't have that episode up until the beginning of November because the U.S. release date is November 3rd. Um, and I believe the U.K. release date is a little later than that. So stay tuned for that. But there may be a Priscilla versus Elvis talk on Remote Watch. All right, Julia, what have you been watching before we go away? <laughs> um, I literally went down a rabbit hole with Interview with a Vampire. And now I will not accept Tom Cruise um as Lestat I can't even get through the movie anymore because the tv show has just ruined me like Jacob Anderson is my number one right now I've heard so many good things and I've heard so many things about Jacob Anderson he was my man crush Monday for like a few weeks oh my god yeah you see we're not thirsting we bring it up the thirsting But on top of that, well, because they, they're putting a lot of um, AMC series on HBO, um, which now I'm excited because if they continue that, um, I may be able to watch Orphan Black Echoes on HBO Max. So let's hope that that, oh that works. Oh, my God. A blast um, from the past. Yeah. Kristen Ritter is now star- starring in that. She plays Lucy. 
What? Or a million other people too. We don't know. The trailer came out today. I'm really excited. Oh wait, I need to go check that one out. Holy shit, Kristen Ritter <laughs> and Oprah Black. Holy shit. <laughs> yeah, it's it's gonna be great. Um, and on top of that, I just finished um Sex Education season four, which is a series that you still need to get on. But I, I it, did get on. I got on after, and I dropped off after season one. <laughs> damn. No. <laughs> I heard it wasn't as good anymore after that. It, I still stay with it because I really love the characters. Like, they really make you fall in love with the characters. I feel like by season four, they really kind of lost their direction. Um, but that could be a whole episode in itself by myself, quite frankly. <laughs> <laughs> but it really did solidify. Um, I already had so much love for Shuti Gatwa. But there were several moments where, like, because I've watched Doctor Who so often, where you see him doing something and you're like... That is something that Doctor would do. I am so excited for him to start. <laughs> like, there's more things for you to you listeners to look forward to in November as well. We've got Priscilla v. Elvis and uh, Doctor Who's 60th anniversary. So yes, yes, and we should um, hear about my reaction, not my interaction with David Tennant. Um, and the final thing is, I'm rewatching Loki season one. Yes, despite the fact that it was really problematic. But because I will be featuring on an episode of Podcast 616 again. So take a look out for that too. Yeah. And Loki is just, I wouldn't say Loki is problematic. I think it's the way that it fell flat on its face after season one, the finale. Like it was setting up so well up until episode five. Literally season one, episode five was like my favorite episode of Loki. And then it just felt flat on its face. Well, speaking of. Yeah falling flat this could also easily be another episode um about the upheaval of marvel studios television oh yeah 100 percent. like yeah. um this is a plug not for myself but like i really want to read joanna robinson's book about the mcu mm-hmm. they were like mm-hmm. saying how you can't spell hollywood without mcu and i'm just like you're right uh and i really want to read that book now she's doing a tour in like new york and i just want to go um what have you been watching, Kaylee? Because the description I have down here is too many things, LMAO. Oh, yeah, I've seen Priscilla. That was the second to last uh, film, London Film Festival thing that I've seen this past week. Uh, the last one I watched was How to Have Sex, also a horror movie and very chilling. And um, it's also very good. Um my so yeah highlights from london film festival is saltburn uh not because of jacob elordi but you know like it partly because uh-huh. of yeah uh <laughs> priscilla not because of jacob elordi that one even more minuscule part uh because i just like that movie and uh how to have sex is also a highlight and another highlight is the queen of my dreams it's about this multi-generational uh Pakistani uh, Canadian family when uh, our main character's dad dies she returns to Pakistan and like sees her mom in like a new lens and we see like the mom's perspective of how she was also once rebellious like her daughter and it's like it's a cyclical nature and like the family film of that and I'm just like this is so heartwarming Um, but yeah so those are the things we've been watching thank you so much for listening to us Uh, you can check us out at at remote watch on x formerly known as twitter at remote underscore watch on instagram uh we have a website remotewatchpod.com and our personal handles are also on those pages 
Thanks so much for listening. See you next time. Goodbye. Bye. Remote watch out.